Welcome to Feminine Founder. I'm Caroline Pennington, your host. Today, I have Amanda Loveday joining me. Amanda is one of my favorite humans on this earth. She and I have known each other for many, many years and have crossed paths. Well, known each other personally and professionally for over a decade now. Amanda graduated from the University of South Carolina and has been heavily involved in the political scene since. She has led political campaigns, been the director, executive director for the South Carolina Democratic Party. She's been the communications director of Congressman Clyburn and now is the chief operating officer for Next Improvement Strategy. Welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So I'd love to hear your story. You've been actively involved in politics and now you work in the private sector with MP Strategies. I'd love to hear your story behind your political career and how you ended up as chief operating officer. Yeah, um, I have a, an odd path to where I got today. I graduated uh, with a degree in broadcast journalism. I grew up wanting to be Katie Couric uh, on the Today Show and uh, work in the newsroom and, and be a part of that industry. And I did that for a couple of years. And uh, it just it wasn't for me. I, I learned that into my career. And Luckily, got the ability to kind of be an embed reporter during the primary cycle in 2008 when it was an open presidential seat and you had eight Democrats and 12 Republicans and it, South Carolina was obviously important on both sides. And I got to see it from the sphere of a reporter and I fell in love with politics. And so after that cycle, had the ability to go out and work in, in partisan politics and uh, I always say it was 2008, and when I was a reporter, I didn't know if I was a Republican or Democrat. And uh, when you're young and impressionable and Barack Obama is at the head of the ticket, um, you become a Democrat. So uh, I was uh, happy to get involved in those circles in South Carolina and uh, moved up pretty quickly, ran campaigns statewide, local, and as you've said, uh, ultimately became executive director. And I did that for about three years, which is about three years longer than the average and um, really loved it, but knew that I wanted to get into more corporate and private sector communications work and needed a buffer. You know, corporate corporations weren't going to hire someone straight from a political party. It just is not something that typically happens and found a the ability to go work for Jim Clyburn as an opportunity to hone more communication skills, um, but also work with someone who was well-respected no matter who you were and where you fell on the political um, aisle. So I did that for about two and a half years and knew that NP strategy existed. I knew that there was a law firm in South Carolina, North Carolina, that was doing cor corporate comms and PR and crisis comms. Uh, but they weren't really doing it to the uh, strength and, and magnitude that I thought they could. So I went to the owners and pitched myself and it took about six months, but they hired me and I was the first full-time hire at NP Strategy in January of 2016. Um, and now we're over 25 people um, across five cities and three states um, working with clients all across the country. So it's been an exciting ride. When you started, and I remember that you were in talks with them for a while and yeah. then you were the first employee. So it's just amazing to hear how much you've grown the organization and now running it. And so, and you told me, you told me to wear a suit jacket on my first interview. I <laughs> did it. That's what did it. <laughs> that is what did it. So how have you been able to scale? the business 
over the past seven years. Yeah, it is a joint effort um, and a group effort to be this successful for sure. Um, and we also have, also have the luxury, I, I will not deny the fact that being owned by a law firm gives us one, credibility and two, growth opportunity, because a lot of our work, probably 50% of it comes from lawyers, comes from the law firm, comes from legal clients. The other 50% are clients that we bring in on our own and have no relationship with the law firm. But uh, having that um, foundation has obviously been extremely helpful in our growth opportunities. Uh, and, you know, we don't have to worry about keeping the lights on, which, you know, when I was at the party, that kept me up every night. And um, not having that anxiety every day is definitely something that I'm very thankful for. Um, but the growth piece too, is I, we've really made a niche for ourselves in the work that we do across the country. And, you know, when I, when people say, what do you do? And I say PR, that means something different to everybody. And when I tell folks, you know, there's a spectrum of public relations and most people think of it as either the shiny marketing firm that does your TV ads or the political firm that does communications. And I say, we are neither of those. We are literally smack dab in the middle um, and we are business communications. We we only communicate. We're not your marketing firm. We're not a, a political firm. We are truly there to help you message and communicate to uh, whoever it may be, whatever stakeholder group or groups need to be communicated with, like we're your people. Um, and I think having that niche has really been helpful in not only getting work, but also being able to expand because people are looking for something like that. Do you guys target more for-profit or non-profit clients? Or do you have both? We have both. Um, and we get brought in for both. Uh, and we have a lot of our nonprofits are going to be normally multi-state or have a larger need than just kind of a local um, necessity that may be happening. Um, you know, one of our first clients in South Carolina was Harvest Hope Food Bank, and and they they were a very localized um, organization that needed very specific localized help. Um, but now we represent nonprofits that have multiple state platforms and um, groups that they are helping. And so we've We've grown that. We not to say we wouldn't help more of that localized regional effort, um, but as we've gotten bigger, our expertise has gotten bigger, and um, we're able to help on a larger scale. So, going from the first employee hired, how were you able to build the team? And then, has your have you had to pivot with your recruiting strategy as you've expanded into different states? Because obviously, different states are red or blue or you know, swing states or whatnot. So how has that, has that been a contributing factor to your hiring and growth? Yeah, um, it's a good question. I'll be honest. I think that our strategy for hiring and the type of people we hire does not change whether we're in Alabama, South Carolina, North Carolina, or if we hired someone in Alaska, right? Like we hire people, and I, I say this to every person I interview, we hire people we want to be friends with. Like it is a huge pillar of ours that we hire team members that we not only want to work with, but we want to hang out with and drink a beer with. And, you know, we do retreats sometimes two times a year where we, you know, rent a big house and we stay together. If you can't hang, um, and I don't mean that like in a, in, you know, your ability and interest in doing certain activities. I mean, like if you just don't have the personality where you want to have a conversation with us or play board games all night or whatever, 
it's just not going to work because all of that, though that's few and far between those opportunities that we have, doing it together for work is very similar. And we are in the business where we work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, I've picked up my phone at 3 a.m. I write things at 10 p.m. And I need team members who have the interest in doing that as well. And um, so whether, you know, I'm hiring, we're currently looking for people in Alabama, I want someone that I would be comfortable with hiring in South Carolina. Uh, we just know that, that they're going to have different relationships, different experiences, but uh, they're going to be able to fit in whatever spot we have them, no matter where they're from. Do you feel like that has helped with retention? I do. I, I mean, we're very open about who we are and what we do and what our expectations are. And I think that's helped with retention. Um, but we also absolutely show our interest and our desire to build a team that is a family that wants to work in an environment like that. Um, if you want to clock in and out and, you know, go home and not think about it at the end of every day and not be impressed and excited about the work that you're working on and, and anxious to go home and tell your partner or your friend, like, we're just not for you. And I'm very open and honest about that. And I've, I've made mistakes, you know, I've hired people that have ended in tears and, um, you know, don't work with us anymore. And, and that happens. But, um, you know, we have an incredible team right now. I was actually telling a, a colleague yesterday that um, we have the team that I've always wanted. Like everyone on our team is critical and crucial to our, our mission and, and what we do and the clients we serve. Um, and that's such a great feeling because it's not always been that way. We all make bad hires, <laughs> even professional recruiters. <laughs> so you know, it just is what it is. And sometimes people present great in the interview and they say all the right buzzwords and then you get there, you know, you get in the nitty gritty of the job and those things are not. Right. And the opposite exists too, right? There are people in the world that interview horribly and I think could be really good fits if you just kind of go, if you peel the onion back a little bit. And I think that's what we try to do is, is not just ask, you know, the questions that, you know, what, what's your flaw or what, you know, what's your favorite thing to do on the weekend or, you know, what's your management style? Like we want to know like who you are as a person, not just as a professional. So how do you even start with the interview like that? I mean, that like, how do you, these people that you're, you've grown this team, you've got this work family. Are you, are most of these people who work in the, that you already know, or some new, or is it kind of a mixture of both? Yeah. So we very, very, very rarely, we have before, but very rarely post jobs. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, we have our, the people who work for us have such large networks that we feel like if we can't find someone within those networks, then um, it's just the person not out there right now. I've also, you know, stalked the heck out of people on LinkedIn and on social media. And, you know, I, I probably have five people on my team right now that I've just, you know, um, messaged on LinkedIn and said, you have no idea who I am, but so-and-so recommended you, or I just thought your profile was great. You know, would you be willing to have a conversation with us? And I never thought that to be like a recruiting tool, but it really is. And um, it's been, you know, s somewhat successful for us. I mean, we have some of our greatest team members we found that way. And so 
you know, we don't post typically uh, in our new markets when we grow in different cities and markets, we do post because we just don't always know who's there. Um, but, you know, we're hiring people right now in Alabama, some of which never applied, but someone applied and in a conversation recommended someone. So, I mean, it just, the ball is always kind of rolling down the hill, but um, we start the conversations very open. Like we, this is who we are. This is what we do. And this is what we're looking for. And right off the bat, it's very clear if they fit or don't. And then from there, we decide if they're the right person in the right time. Jobs. I'm completely against posting jobs. I, I would say probably 99% of the people I've recruited and hired over the past 15 years, which is tens of thousands at this point, did not come from an ad. They came from right. going out there and handpicking them. Right. Because you're right. I've applied for one job in my entire life. One. In my entire yeah. career. Same. Recruited for every job. And that most people, if you reach out to them and they're open to a conversation because yeah. it's, a, it's just a conversation. It's just information gathering. Right. Right. And I'll also point out too, I haven't always been recruited like NP Strategy. I wasn't recruited. I went to them. I recruited them. Right. Like I knew what kind of job I was looking for. And I went to them and said, let me help you do this. And, you know, did I probably inflate a little bit of what I could accomplish? Absolutely. Have I been able to accomplish it? Yes. <laughs> so, you know, it might've been a lie in the moment, but it's not been a lie in my seven and a half years here. But, um, you know, th the recruitment goes both ways, I think. It goes, you know, recruiters like you finding people like me, but also people like me going to companies, going to individuals and saying, I think what you do is really cool. And I'd love to learn more if you ever have an opportunity. I mean, I, I have never, ever, ever told someone no to meet for coffee, to have a conversation, a phone call, whatever. If I get a you know, LinkedIn message or an email from someone from my alma mater or my sorority or whatever it may be, because that, I mean, you never know who you're going to meet. And, you know, we, we recently actually hired someone in Alabama who I had met a year ago with a client thought I'd never see her again, but she was delightful. I hopefully was nice to her. And a year later, I get a phone call that says, we'd like to hire her. Will you interview her? And I was like, thank goodness we were kind to each other and liked each other and all these things because now we're hiring her, right? So it's just a good lesson that you never know when you're going to circle back and, and be a part of someone else's life. And didn't have the skills at the exact moment when you started your position with a strategy, you knew you had it in you yes. to do it. And if you didn't know it right that second, you would figure it out. Right. Right. I mean, nothing annoys me more, Caroline, than having someone who like an intern or a new hire that comes to me and says, um, hey, you know, I couldn't find this. What's the answer? And I, I literally every time I look at them and I say, well, I'm going to Google it. And, you know, I'm going to do it right in front of you and you should be doing this too, but I'm going to do it for you and I'm going to show you. And, and that's, you know, it's just the way it is. When I started, I didn't know the difference between a press release and a media advisory. I was running a PR firm, but I figured it out. <laughs> now I know. Yes. I'm reading. I just finished a book actually called everything is figure outable by Marie yeah. And I mean, it's so true. Like there's so many things that YouTube or Google and like figure it out. Like, can I sign off on a tax return? No, but there's a lot right. of other things I can do. Right. I cannot do brain surgery, but there's a lot of things I can figure out. And I may not be an expert, but I can at least, you know, check a box. 
So I'd love to hear your thoughts on the importance of having the right people in the right seats. And this has probably been crucial for you as you've expanded into different states and in the corporate office in Columbia. Yeah. Um, you know, this is an evolving question, right? And an evolving answer, um, more importantly, because there are people who have been on our team, who are currently on our team in certain roles that fit for today and may not fit for tomorrow, but may also may not have fit for yesterday. And I think the most important thing is for me as a leader and a manager is one being willing to have the tough conversations and tough conversations are good and bad, right? Like the good tough conversations are you're doing great. You're killing it. Um, here's what we hope for you in the future. Um, but we just got it. We got to get there. Right. Uh, the tough conversations are the opposite of that. You're not killing it. We really want you to do this, but you're not doing it. Um, and being willing to be honest and open and have those conversations so people know, you know, where their expectations are. And, you know, it's, it's also getting to know people. I've made the mistake of hiring at too high of a level. I think that's probably one of the biggest um, lesson learns for me is like, if you bring someone in that if they're kind of in, in between, right. If you feel like they could be an executive, but they're, you're not quite sure I've made the mistake and hired at the executive level. Right. And they just weren't ready. Um, but I've also hired one step down or even like made up a title, right. Just because I'm still unsure. And then six months later, promote them and they're thrilled. So, you know, I, I, I have been trying and, and this has been new as, as I've gotten older in my career here is not everything's black and white and not everybody is suited for, you know, one position or another, and not everyone's suited for one position for the same reasons. Um, I was explaining to someone recently about, you know, if this person is ready for this role, they're ready for reasons A and B, but this person's ready for reasons C and D. And they may have the same title, but they're there for very different reasons. And they're excelling at our company for very different reasons. Or team members. And a lot of it has to do with what do they want? Or what do they not right. want? Or and just having those open conversations and creating a safe space for them to be able to be open and honest with you so you can know whether or not you know you can transition them to something else. Or right. And we we work in a fluid environment. I mean, you do too in, in recruiting. You know, we're not accountants, right? Like we're not like we're not taking a test and passing it. So then as we take each test and pass it, we move up the, the rankings. We get clients, we work on clients, we, you know, achieve a goal. We, um, it's a lot of fluidity. There's someone who's a really great writer, but maybe not great at interpersonal skills. And then I have another team member who's really great at interpersonal skills, maybe not a great writer. Well, to me, they are equivalent on, on a level, right? Because maybe they have the same experience, they're the same age, they come with very similar backgrounds, but their skill sets are different. Well, they they need to be treated the same because both the interpersonal skills and the great writing is critical to what we do. And I need both. And so identifying that it's not a black and white decision. It's not a black and white situation, I think is really important. You've learned so much in your seven years. I mean, you've gone from operations, HR, leadership, executive coaching, marketing. I know that you were the sole marketing professional going out and getting the clients when you first started. So um, 
that's that's an amazing experience. I'm so proud it's of you. Been, yeah, it's been an incredible learning experience for me, and I've definitely grown. I grow every day. I learn something new every day, um, which is why I love my job and why I love what I do. Um, and, you know, I, I look forward to learning today and learning tomorrow and, and becoming even better seven years from now. So when we have this conversation again, I have even more wisdom to share. I would love that. So as we wrap up, how can our listeners find you? Um, so I'm on LinkedIn, Amanda Loveday. Um, I am on Twitter, Alpert Loveday for a little political commentary um, and then npstrategy.com. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Caroline.